All right. Let's go over to, um, we're going to go to Colossians here in a minute. Now, we've said um, that Colossae, the the city where they were, was was within a day's walk or so of Laodicea and a little further to a place called Hierapolis. Those two cities could see one another. They were more important than Colossae, but but, uh, you're going to hear Paul referring to Laodicea in, in part of this letter. And we've said that 128, which is part of our lesson for today, is um, maybe kind of the, the key verse for the whole, uh, whole study. He is the one we proclaim, admonishing and teaching everyone with all wisdom so that we may present everyone fully mature in Christ. And so today we're going to talk about the hardship that Paul endures so that. See that in verse 28? He endures hardship so that in order to see that Christian faith takes root in the lives of lost people. And uh, um, more than anything, Paul wanted, in words that we use here at this church, to see people find and follow Jesus. So uh, we're going to get into that. Now, I'll tell you a little bit about my life. Most of you know a lot of stuff about me. So, um, But uh, in the spring of 1985, beginning in January of 1985, um, uh, some of you weren't alive then. Most of you were, okay? Um, I took, I was, in, I, I was in my last full semester in seminary. I took, um, I, I took 14 hours. Now, that didn't sound like much, but it was graduate work. And in the school, part of the school that I was in, 14 hours meant uh, seven courses, seven two-hour courses, the, the place where I was. Sometimes I'll, I'll listen to guys that were at a different place in the seminary, and they'll talk about taking, you know, 12 hours. But it was that was three four-hour courses. I took seven two-hour courses. It was crazy. I was on a, I was on a scholarship that I wasn't afraid was going to run out, but I knew I needed it while the iron was hot, get this done. And so I took all the hours I could take. I had petitioned sometimes to take more hours than I was supposed to take just to get through. Um, so um, somehow, by God's grace, I earned A's that semester while helping Rhonda care for our two little bitty kids. And on top of that, driving 215 miles one way to Oklahoma City to work at a church for 50 bucks a week on the weekend. I I was getting rich, all right? Um, Now, but what I remember is when I finished that process in December of 1985, I remember thinking, okay, I understand uh, Philippians 4.13. I can do anything now. Uh, Because literally, if I can get through that, if we can get through that, we can accomplish it. We can do anything. God, whatever you tell me to do, I'm going. Okay? Now, um, for you, the hardest time in your life might have been a time of military service. I know that's true for, for many of you. It might have been some other just hard stretch. It might have been a, a cancer treatment or, or losing a loved one. Now, what I want you to know is that in this passage of Scripture, Paul is struggling. Uh, he's suffering to fulfill God's call on his life. He was commissioned by God to be an apostle to Gentile people. That was no easy task in the first century. But he seemed to kind of relish in what God had called him to do. So Steve, I'm going to ask you, if you will, to start us with Philippians 1.24 and kind of turn the page a little bit and read down through 2.5. Now 
And I rejoice in what was suffered for you, and I fill up in my flesh what is still lacking in regard to Christ's afflictions for the sake of his body, which is the church. I have become its servant by the commission God gave me to present to you the word of God in its fullness. The mystery that has been kept hidden for ages and generations, but is now disclosed to the saints. To them God has chosen to make known among the Gentiles the glorious riches of this mystery, which is Christ in you, the hope of glory. We proclaim him, admonishing and teaching everyone with all wisdom so that we may present everyone perfect in Christ. To this end I labor, struggling with all his energy, which so powerfully works in me. And I want you to know how much I am struggling for you and for those at Laodicea and for all who have not met me personally. My purpose is that they may be encouraged in heart and united in love so that they may have the full riches of complete understanding in order that they may know the mystery of God, namely Christ, in whom are hidden all the treasures of wisdom and knowledge. I tell you this so no one may deceive you by fine-sounding arguments. For though I am absent from you in body, I am present with you in spirit, and delight to see how orderly you are and how firm your faith in Christ is. Sometimes, jokingly, we'll say to one another, I think I'm going to be sick on that day. And we're thinking about a month from now or a week from now or whatever. I actually had to put up a sick day for next Wednesday for another reason. And I remember thinking, I wonder if the people who approved this are looking at that saying, how does he know he's going to be sick next Wednesday? You think the Apostle Paul ever was tempted to call in sick? Now, I'm going to read to you. This is an actual accident report from a man who was, who was uh, requesting sick time, sick pay. Here's what he says. He was, he was in, um, this was on an accident form. He was doing some heavy construction, and he says this. When I got to the building, I found the hurricane had knocked off some bricks around the top, so I rigged up a beam with a pulley at the top of the building, and I hoisted up a couple of barrels full of bricks. When I had fixed the damage area, there were a lot of bricks left over, so I went to the bottom and began releasing the line. Unfortunately, the barrel of bricks was much heavier than I was, and before I knew what was happening, the barrels started coming down, jerking me up. I decided to hang on, since I was too, off, too far off the ground by then, to jump, and halfway up, I met the barrel of bricks coming down fast. I received a hard blow in my shoulder. I then continued to the top, banging my head against the beam and getting my fingers pinched and jammed in the pulley. When the barrel hit the ground hard, it burst its bottom, allowing the bricks to spill out. I was now heavier than the barrel. So I started down again at high speed. Halfway down, I met the barrel coming up fast and received severe injuries to my shins. When I hit the ground, I landed on the pile of spilled bricks, getting several painful cuts and deep bruises. Um, at this point, I must have lost my presence of mind because I let go of my grip on the line. The barrel came down fast, <laughs> giving me another blow on my head and putting in me in the hospital. His last paragraph reads this way. I respectfully request sick leave. You think the Apostle Paul ever wanted to call in sick? Not like that. Oh, not like, you know, but 
He's going to talk here about the calling in his life despite his sufferings. So I, I want us to read these rapid fire, okay? So if, if a few of these, we'll grab these. 2 Corinthians 11, verse 23 through 27. Who will read that? John, thank you. Uh, Acts 14, verse 5, 6, and 7. Thank you, Cindy. Um, Acts 21, verse 27 through 29. Do so I get that one? Thank you, Sally. And then I'm going to have you also read verse 32. So Acts 21, 27 through 29, and then 32. And then 2 Timothy 1, 15. Rhonda, thank you. All right, now, do you think Paul ever wanted to call in sick? I, I think it's interesting. I, I was with a friend um, at lunch on Friday. We were talking about Paul, and we were talking about how, you know, sometimes I will teach and think, my life is completely out of balance. I need to get my life more in balance. And I realized that studying the life of the Apostle Paul is not going to help me in that pursuit because he was completely out of balance. <clears throat> I'm going to deal with the why in a little bit. He was completely out of balance. So let's read the scripture and see what it says about all the things he went through. Let's start with 2 Corinthians 11, verse 23 through 27. It's a list. Go, John. Are they servants of Christ? I am out of my mind to talk like this. I am more. I have worked much harder, been in prison more frequently, been flogged more severely, and have been exposed to death again and again. Five times I received from the Jews the forty lashes minus one. Three times I was beaten with rods. Once I was stoned. Three times I was shipwrecked. I spent a night and a day in the open sea. I have been constantly on the move. I have been in danger from rivers, in danger from bandits, in danger from my own countrymen, in danger from Gentiles, in danger in the city, in danger in the country, in danger at sea, and in danger from false brothers. I have labored and toiled and often gone without sleep. I have known hunger and thirst, and I have often gone without food. I have been cold and naked. What's your list look like now? Dang, it ain't bad. Okay, now let, let's keep going. Let's go to the book of Acts, all right? And we're going to read Acts uh, 14, verse 5, 6, and 7. There was a plot afoot among the Gentiles and Jews, together with their leaders, to mistreat them and stone them. But they found out about it and fled to the Lyconian cities of Lystra and Derbe and to the surrounding country, where they continued to preach the gospel. Okay, so he, there's a plot against him. There's another plot over in Acts 21. Um, uh, Sally, if you'll read 27 through 29, and then drop down to 32. When the seven days were nearly over, some Jews from the province of Asia saw Paul at the temple. They stirred up the whole crowd and seized him, shouting, Fellow Israelites, help us. This is the man who teaches everyone everywhere against our people and our law and this place. And besides, he has brought Greeks into the temple and defiled this holy place. They had previously seen Trophimus, the Ephesian, in the city with Paul and assumed that Paul had brought him to the temple. In 32. Uh-huh. He at once took some officers and soldiers and ran down to the crowd. When the rioters saw the commander and his soldiers, they stopped beating Paul. He was being beaten. So, you catching all this stuff? Let's do one more. First, uh, 2 Timothy 1.15. Rhonda? 
You are aware that all who are in Asia turn away from me, among whom are the jealous and homogenies. Betrayed, deserted, beaten, arrested several different times, um, had escaped by the... Uh, uh, by the skin of his teeth several times. Shipwrecked how many times? Three times, I think I said, John. Um, um, uh, all of these things just simply because of the calling that was on his life. By the way, Sally, when you're reading, what that was all about, he was being beaten by religious people. I think that's really interesting. That just didn't like what he was called to share the gospel with a different group of people. So, um, it's interesting here. Paul's suffering wasn't just a result of his personal commitment to Christ. Presumably, he wouldn't have suffered much had he simply accepted Christ and went to church. He could have phoned it in. Okay? But his suffering was in direct correlation to, to um, his mission of advancing the gospel, Christ's work of evangelism, church planting to people who would never hear the gospel without him being involved in this. And I'm going to say to you, unless um, you're, you have a Jewish lineage in this room, we would never, you and I would never have heard the gospel had Paul not been committed to it. Because he was committed to going to the Gentiles. And that's most of us in this room, if not all of us. Okay? Now, with the recent focus on uh, Afghanistan, for instance, as you read those horrible stories in places like China, it's easy to find some current illustrations of Christians who are suffering for their faith. That's what Paul was living. Uh, what we've got to pray for is some modern-day Pauls in places over there and honestly here. Now, um, so, I, I think you would have to agree with me that by comparison... You and I aren't suffering to the same degree. Uh, Rhonda, the fact that we had to put bologna and bread on a credit card to get through seminary to prepare for what we do um, wasn't the same as what Paul described. We thought we were suffering in the day, but we actually had quite a joyful time. Um, is my lack of suffering simply a result of not being engaged in evangelism and discipling others? That's, that's kind of the question I want to ask today. Um, um, what does our lack of suffering say about us? If, if the worst that happens to me is being mocked on social media, is that really suffering for Christ? Um, you know, most surveys show that the average Christian in America isn't very different in life and in values and hopes than the average non-Christian. What does that say about us? By the way, if you're interested in following some of what Paul went through, I, I don't often recommend a movie or something, but I'll recommend this one. It, it's entitled, I believe, The Apostle Paul. I'm, for, I'm forgetting who did it, but it, it's absolutely amazing. Um, uh, I don't. You can probably. Uh, I, I would imagine you get it on Amazon or something. But it is uh, Jim Caviezel plays Luke, and they're writing. Uh, they're writing the New Testament together in prison, and uh, it's just incredible. The end of it is worth the ticket. I, it surprised me, and I completely lost it. But um, it. Yep. You'll get the idea. Here's a guy, they're writing the New Testament, and Paul is barely able to breathe. 
Uh, he's being ministered to by Dr. Luke because he's in such bad shape from all this stuff that we read about. So the question is, am I doing what I need to do to advance the gospel? That's what I think this section of scripture is about. So to fill in your first blank, which I forgot to do when we were going by there, the most honorable suffering is suffering for Jesus. Okay, second. Coupled with that, the greatest hope in this life and the life to come is hope in Christ. I'm going to go to verse 25. Let's read it again. Of this church, I was made a minister according to the stewardship from God bestowed on me for your benefit. By the way, he's not talking about their church. He's never been there. He will never meet the Colossians in this lifetime. So that I might fully carry out the preaching of the word of God, that is, the mystery which has been hidden from the past ages and generations, but has now been manifested to his saints, to whom God willed to make known what is the riches of the glory of the mystery among Gentiles, which is Christ in you, the hope of glory. So a mystery is what? What's a mystery? Some truth that had not been revealed up to that point in time. Some truth or it might be a puzzle. Well, that's a mystery. Okay. So he's saying here, this is a mystery. Um, uh, there was a mystery, but the mystery here involved God saving the Gentiles. Can I say it again? That's you and me. All right. Uh, that mystery, what was mysterious before, even through the Old Testament, where there were just little hints of it, the curtain would get drawn back a little bit. What was mysterious then has now become made known. What was once a mystery, no longer is there some secretive club, but what was mysterious is now made known, broadcast to all, not just a select few. So what was revealed then? Look at verse 27. Christ in you, the hope of glory. What a great phrase. Christ in you, the hope of glory. Now, what does the hope of glory look like in my life and in your life today? What do you think? Do we think about that that much? The hope of glory? Well, I think we should because for one thing, the Bible tells us those that, those that will live godly must suffer persecution. And, and even Peter said... He counted it worthy that he was able to suffer. He didn't even want to be hung upright like Christ. He wanted to be hung upside down. The people in those days, they took the word of God and they believed it. And if we believe it, we can do the same thing. We just have to take whatever come our way and trust God to deliver us out of it. Because even with my daughter, I found that the Lord had released me from that. I know he's going to fix it. And I have cried. I have done a lot of things that hurt. And a lot of things you have to go through, you have to take it to make it. And, and you, you gain uh, a strength from it. You gain to be, you, you get God put more. The tribulations that we go through, it help us to take patience and experience as we go through it. But you got to go through it that you can have a testimony about how God delivered you out of it. If you never go through it, how can you say that God can do it? So Christ in you. That's it. The hope of glory. Okay. Can I hang on? 
can I tie another knot in the end of the rope? Fully realizing, you got to catch this, that this may not be unraveled, this side of glory. This is not talking about, I'm going to work hard so that I can win a gold medal at the Olympics. There's an image, imagery there. This is not necessarily a no pain, no gain type thing. But it is in another way. Because the idea is, I have bet the farm that when I draw my last breath here, there will be glory to come. Christ in you, the hope of glory. Now, what I'm kind of thinking about here, is this still active? I work with a lot of 21, 22-year-olds that I don't know think a lot about heaven until they lose somebody in their lives, and then they begin to think about heaven. Joe? Uh, Well, Steve, I'm a horrible paraphraser, but, you know, I think it was was Paul was saying he was ready to call it an end, but only so that he stop being a sinner. Yeah. You know, and it's like giving thanks and praise every morning and just trying to follow his path. It's like, it's a tough road to hoe. Don't you think, Joe, we ought to catch that occasionally. This is not, this is, even though I'm promised in John 10, abundant life, which means eternal life here and eternal life for the future, i got to realize that Jesus was honest with me when he said, in this world you will have trouble. He was honest with me. And he was honest with you. Am I willing to pay the price that Paul, the kind of price that Paul paid to advance the gospel? That's the question. To make a difference in my world. Now, let's look at the next little section here. Um, um, We talked about it last week um, that um, I I asked the question at the end of class, as I recall last week, um, is Christ preeminent in your life? Okay. Are you phoning it in? Okay. That's what we're going to add to that question today. Is he, is there, are you willing to pay the price that needs to be paid to make sure that the gospel advanced, even if it costs you? All right, now, let's go back to the scripture here. Uh, Cindy, I'm going to prevail on you, if I can, to go to verse 28 and read verse 28 and 29. He is the one we proclaim, admonishing and teaching everyone with all wisdom, so that we may present everyone fully mature in Christ. To this end, I strenuously contend with all the energy of Christ, so powerfully that works within me. Okay, I think we've got to catch this. And what I understand of Paul's life at this period of his, his life, the biggest goal in the Christian life is maturity in Christ. And that, that's what goes in your next blank. And I want us to think about that for a minute. But I also want to ask the question, do you suppose there was anyone that Paul didn't share Christ with? I don't think so. What do you think? I think... Any conversation he had, he was, he was doing back-bending work at one point in his life, bent over mending tents and uh, doing leather work, which is really hard work. He's not doing it at this point because he's in jail. He's in prison. Uh, but don't you suppose that anybody that came up and said, what are you working on? He eventually got that discussion around to, have I told you about Jesus? You know, I, when I was in seminary, I had a, an evangelism professor who was just 
kind of amazing. And he, would, he told us in class one summer morning about um, he took his car to be worked on, and on the way back from uh, the garage to his office, he led the mechanic to Christ. Uh, and I'm sure he just said, Janie, you hate it when I ask this question. Hey, 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 buddy, tell me about your relationship with Jesus Christ. You know, which is my lead-in question that you always hated, Janie. You always said, only you can get away with that. Don't you suppose that every conversation that Paul ever had led to a discussion of the gospel? Isn't it interesting that probably uh, evidence kind of is present that even though he was in prison in Rome, waiting any day for the minions of the evil Nero to come into his cell and say, okay, this is your last day, pal. Even though that every time another guard came to spend time with him, he would say, hey, sit down here. I want to get to know about you. Tell me about your family. Have I told you about Jesus? And so he writes these letters so that those whom he has never met in Colossae will have that same kind of passion and that they will be mature enough that they will tell the truth in those places. So um, he proclaims the good news everywhere he's going. Um, he, he uses two words here, admonishing and teaching, to explain the two sides of his work. Part of the work is to warn people against sin. That's the admonishment part. Have you been admonished lately? Uh, you know, occasionally I don't like being admonished. I don't know if you do or not, but occasionally I need some admonishment. Uh, so part of his job is to warn people against sin and false doctrine. And part is teaching people what to believe and how to live. Most of us like that last part, but don't necessarily like the first part. For Paul... It wasn't enough to see someone say a prayer or raise their hand or even get baptized. He wanted to see people mature to grow in faith. Next week, by the way, we'll pick it up right here with uh, Colossians 2.6 next week. And by the time we get to 2.7, he's going to say, let your roots grow down deep. He's going to talk about that maturity. Now, um, so... Have, have you continued to grow or are you stalling out in your faith? How can we keep growing? Let's look at some verses that kind of teach us on this, okay? Um, John, can I get you to go to John 15, 10? Cindy, if, I, if you would please go to 1 Peter 2, 21. And Rhonda, I'm going to have you go to 1 John 2, 6 because I know you love it. You probably don't even have to go there. Okay. Here's some verses that challenge us. Now, they're going to come from uh, three, uh, two different other people other than Paul saying basically the same thing. The importance of continuing in, in Christ, following Christ, becoming like him. John 15, 10. If you obey my commands, you will remain in my love, just as I have obeyed my father's commands and remain in his love. Abiding in him, staying in him, remaining in him. If I've obeyed the Father, then you need to obey me, he's going to say. All right? To continue in that. 1 Peter 2.21. To this you were called because Christ suffered for you, leaving you an example that you should follow in his steps. Remember Charles Sheldon's little book? 
that kind of resurfaced back in the late, in the 90s, and everybody was re wearing WWJD bracelets, and you don't see them anymore? Remember Charles Sheldon's little book, In His Steps? That's where that came from. And that his idea came from what Cindy just read. I need to walk in his steps. Rhonda, 1 John 2, 6. Whoever claims to walk, whoever claims to live in him must walk as Jesus did. Are you walking like he walked? When you take a step, are you leaving his footprint? Uh, there, there's um, a, a beauty expressed in the book of Hebrews. Are you, when you walk out of the room, do people smell Jesus? <laughs> That's kind of the idea. And if they don't, what have I got to do to get there? What is one or two things that you might could do now? In the next month, the next week, tomorrow, today, that would help you grow in your faith? to help you leave, lead more of his footprint, of his odor behind. I heard somebody say, read your Bible. That's a great start, isn't it? And read about him. If you haven't done it, start there. Okay, now, now, um, number four, we'll read the rest of this passage here. We'll read the first five verses of Colossians 2 in just a second. The only foundation for all this is the foundation of Christ, okay? So, uh, Sally, can I prevail on you and have you read the first five verses of Colossians 2? I want you to know how hard I am contending for you and for those at Laodicea and for all who have not met me personally. My goal is that they may be encouraged in heart and united in love so that they may have the full riches of complete understanding in order that they may know the mystery of God, namely Christ, in whom are hidden all the treasures of wisdom and knowledge. I tell you this so that no one may deceive you with fine-sounding arguments. For though I am absent, absent from you in body, I am present with you in spirit and delight to see how disciplined you are and how firm your faith in Christ is. He's going to say here something else about the mystery. Remember, he's talking to an entirely Gentile audience as far as we know. And he's going to say to them, remember Christ in you, the hope of glory. He's going to say, Jesus is the mystery. And he's been revealed. He's been here. Uh, we talked about uh, John 1.18 last week, that, um, that the idea that uh, no one has seen God at any time, but Christ, the one and only, has made him known. He's revealed him. He's demonstrated him. Uh, so, here's the idea, is that he is the foundation of all this. Now, now Paul is going to use the word heart here. He's going to say, be encouraged in heart. He uses the word heart, this word, more than 50 times in all of the letters he writes in the New Testament. The term was used to express both the intellectual, the mind, as well as the emotional parts of a person. Obviously, a discouraged person is going to struggle far more than one who's encouraged. So he says there is an encouragement that needs to be found here. And one of the things I'm going to ask you to get involved in, if nothing else in this work of the gospel, is encouraging someone else. 
Stella, last Sunday, this must be meant for you and I to get, okay? So last Sunday, I, I see Marty sitting by a tall, skinny guy with a ponytail that you and I heard preach a couple days before. Marty talks about Barnabas being the son of encouragement. Bob Marvel talked about Barnabas being the son of encouragement. It must be meant for me to get this. Well, we are to come alongside an individual. We are, we are Christ in us. We are the Christ. We have accepted him as our Lord and Savior. He comes to live within us. And we are to be that individual on this earth. We are to be an encourager. You remember the word, for, for a second there, I thought I was stepping over something. Uh, you remember the word that Bob used? Paraclesis. Okay. One called alongside. Uh, literally, in John, John's favorite word for the Holy Spirit is Paracletas, same root word. One called alongside to help. One of the callings that you and I have in helping others find their hope of glory, Jesus, the mystery, is coming alongside, uh, literally, with what, what Bob and Marty were talking about last week, the same thing, is that Barnabas was this son of encouragement, one who came alongside someone else. He came alongside Saul and brought him kind of into the fold, or you and I would never have heard this message. Certainly the book of Colossians would have never been written. Um, coming alongside someone else, instead of dividing with one another, being united in this work of, um, of the church. Now, we're not talking about kind of a sappy or sentimental vision of the church. In fact, we're talking here about people who are united together in love by a mutual love and a mutual devotion to Christ and a common work. I uh, walked into a, a, a warehouse full of pianos in Cincinnati years and years ago, shopping for a piano for the church that I was serving. I had an old man that was a master tuner with me, Vaughn Moxley, who was as crusty an old guy as I've ever met, but he was a master tuner. And I said, okay, Mr. Moxley, how are you sure all of these pianos in tune? And he pulled out of his back pocket a tuning fork and he whacked it on a table and he said, you hear that? That's A440. Every one of these pianos is tuned to A440. So if that one is tuned to A440 and that one is tuned to A440, they're automatically gonna be tuned to each other. Who are you and I in tune with? With Christ in you, the hope of glory. Wesley would say, if you're in tune with him and I'm in tune with him, then let's just walk together. Okay, so I've been commissioned, and I'm going to tell you this, not just because I wear reverend before my name, which I don't play that very often. I've been commissioned just like you have, 
to share with a world who so desperately needs it, Christ in you, the hope of glory. I've been doing this since June of 1977, at least full time, about 45 years. I, I went to see uh, my doctor and my dad's doctor back in the day. I was having some trouble, and uh, he uh, kind of checked me out stem to stern. And he was about 70 then. He's probably about 80 now. And I said, doctor, how long are you going to do this? He said, I'm going to do this as long as I can. Why? Because I'm better at it than I've ever been. I, I can diagnose things better because I've seen more things than, I've, than I saw when I was 40 or 50. I'm better at this, I think, than I was then. But I'm going to tell you, ministry is harder than it's ever been. The last 18 months have fried my bacon, and they have every pastor that you know. Help me. <laughs> Help Marty and Bill and Terry and Teresa and all this staff at this church. Get in the game. Discipleship, evangelism is really messy work. I'm just inviting you to get in the game. I said it a little bit ago, and I was literally reading off the notes. It, it's got to be more than just coming to church. That's a good start, just coming to church. But we've, we've got to support our leaders, and we've got to get in the game. There's nothing more, more um, encouraging to any of us than for you to say, okay, tell me what you need done. Now, so, I'm going to ask you to do two things. In terms of maturity in Christ, are you moving forward? We're going to talk about that pretty exclusively next week as we get into 2.6 and 2.7 and in there. Are, are, are you going to go forward? And the second question is, who do you know? Who is in your world? Probably not in my world. Who is in your world? For whom Christianity is still a mystery. Paul says it's no longer a mystery. You know, the, the curtain's been rolled back. But for them, they don't get it yet. They know parts maybe, but not the whole. What's your next step with that person? Take it. What was the first question again? First question was, um, are you moving forward? The second one is, is there somebody in your world uh, for whom Christianity is still, at least to a degree, a mystery? What are you going to do next with them? All right. I'm loving this study. Um, I hope, you know, at least, at least you can come and, and hear me rant and rave for a bit. So, Bless you. Have a great Sunday. I'll see you in uh, Colossians 2.6 next week.